Is everybody warm enough now? All right. Did we turn the heat off? Good. Okay. Because when I came in this morning, believe you, at quarter past ten, you could have hung beef up in here. And uh, it was like a fridge. And so it's heated up somewhat now, so that's good. Come with me, please, in the Word of God this morning to the book of Psalms and Psalm 55. Psalm 55 is where we want to go. Just let you find your place there for a moment. Psalm 55. And reading verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. No man was more qualified to say such encouraging words like these than David. Because in his lifetime he had touched the stars and he had been humbled to the dust. He had experienced both triumphs and tragedies and trials in equal measure. He had known the praise an adoration and flattery of men, but he also had experienced rejection by his people and scorn even of his own brethren. He'd also known the love and appreciation of a good woman, Abigail, but also the ridicule and the criticism of a bad one, Michael. He'd experienced the death of a child the treachery of his son, the betrayal of a friend, the rape of his daughter, murder within his own family. And he personally had even stooped to the depth of adultery and conspiracy to murder. This was a man who sat upon thrones and dwelt in caves. He climbed the mountains and he wandered in the valleys. And to make matters worse, much of his complaint and Psalm 55 was of his own making because of the mess-ups and the blunders and the sins that he had done. Much of this was self-inflicted. He may have been a good prince, but he was a very poor parent. And how he handled his favorite son, Absalom, came back to haunt him. Did you ever mess up in your past life and it came back to haunt you? Well, that's what happened to this man. Absalom was now trying to kill him. And this psalm was probably written during that period when he ran into the wilderness to escape the murderous threats of his own son, Absalom. And not only that, at Ahithophel, his trusted confidant, one of his closest friends betrayed him and sided with Absalom, the traitor, his son. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. He'd never quite get over the adultery with Bathsheba by David. And so here he is in Psalm 55 and he's pouring out his complaint unto the Lord. And in fact, if we just comment just a little bit on it. First of all, 
reading from verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy. And this was his son with all of the threats and all of the political intrigue that was going on in Jerusalem. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. He's in a bad state, isn't he? He really is downbeat. He's downhearted. He's depressed. He's oppressed. This is a real low point in David's life. His own son, his favorite son, wants to kill him and to take his very throne. His most trusted friend and confidant has betrayed him. And horrible things are happening with his wives in front of all Jerusalem that I can't even go into. Terrible, terrible time. And here he is, he's out in the wilderness and a, and a few, not many at this point, but a few uh, good friends and, and, and great soldiers had followed him and sided with him and had gone out to camp in the wilderness. Uh, while, of course, Absalom was threatening. And so verse 6, so I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. Think about that. I would hasten my escape from the windy storms and tempest. And so he's doing here what all of us would do in that situation. Our first instinct is, God, if I could just get out of this situation, if I could just take off somewhere where nobody knows about me, nobody's talking about me, and nobody's threatening my life, if I had wings like a dove, I would just fly away, and it would be wonderful just to be at peace. You ever felt like that? Do you ever felt like getting out from under and just flying away somewhere? Well, we could do that literally now, couldn't we? And get an air ticket, you could fly away somewhere. But David couldn't fly away from his troubles, either literally or figuratively. His troubles was with him. And then verse 9, he says, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. Zadok the priest came out to him in the wilderness and he brought the Ark of the Covenant. I suppose he brought it for comfort and for consolation. And David sent him back again. David Rag in Jerusalem was the place where it should be. And at this point, he felt God was on his side at least, although all men seemed to be against him. And so he sent Zadok the priest and the, and the Ark of the Covenant back again to Jerusalem. But Hushiah, one of his, uh, again, close friends, he came out to him, and David sent him back. But he sent him back with a task, he said, when you go back, you have got the ear of the palace. 
and you know Ahithophel, and you know Absalom. And here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to go back and pretend that you're going to side with Absalom. And once you do that, then if you're asked for advice, because Ahithophel is speaking in Absalom's ear, and he's giving him all this terrible advice, how to kill me, and how to take my throne from me. So if you're asked advice from Absalom, you do the opposite to what Ahithophel's saying. And so Hashiah went back, and he got the ear of Absalom. And Ahithophel's plan was that he said to Absalom, he says, look, David's out there in the wilderness. He's licking his wounds. He's really under the cosh, as it were. The advantage is in our court. Let me raise up a, an army, and let me go out and kill him for you, and then you can have the throne and all the rest of it. And he's at his weakest point. And at this point, he's only a small regiment of men with him. So he'll be easily taken if we do it right now. And that seemed a good plan. And militarily, strategically, it was a good plan. And Hushai knew that. And so Absalom said to Hushai, well, what do you say? What's your advice? Oh, he said, this plan's not good at this time. What Ahithophel's telling you is not good at this time. Because if you, he goes out at this time with an army, don't you understand that the people who are with David are the best of the best soldiers we have got? These are the greatest, the bravest, the most courageous, the greatest fighters we have got. And if you go out and you start a battle with him and you get beaten, well, then it's all over. And Absalom thought, do you know what? I think you're right. And so he spoke to all his generals, and they all agreed that Hushai's advice was good and that they would not go out at this time. But instead, he said to Hethophel, why don't you go and gather an army from all over Israel, from Dan to Beersheba? And of course, that was going to give David some time to do what he needed to do. And so, when it says, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, this is what David's referring to. By the way, you can read all of this background story in 2 Samuel from, the, I think it's 15, 16, 17, 18, around about there. You can read the whole story there. Destroy and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. And then verse 12. Now he speaks here about Ahithophel. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I can hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. He could hardly believe it. This was his closest friend. Went to the house of God together, took his advices, let him in on everything relating to the kingdom, and now he has turned traitor and he wants to kill him. And so David says in verse 15, let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. <laughs> this is an Old Testament prayer, by the way. We're not permitted this in the New Testament. You know that, of course, 
You may feel like it sometimes, but this is one of those imprecatory prayers of the Old Testament where you wish your worst upon your enemy, that the house may be made a, a dunghill he prays in other places of other enemies. So we can't do that in the New Testament. Let them seize, let death seize them and let them go down alive into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he will hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there be many against me, and God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from old, Selah. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. And then again, he comes back on to his rant and his rage against Ahithophel. He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. This is David's Judas. David's greater son, Jesus, had a Judas. And this is David's Judas. And interestingly, both of them hung themselves. When Ahithophel realized that his advice was not going to be taken, and that the game was up as far as he was concerned. He went home, the Bible says, he put his house in order, and he hung himself. And when Judas realized the awful deed that he had done, that he betrayed innocent blood, he said, he too went out and hung himself. But like the Judas in the New Testament, his words were smoother than butter. Hail, Master, Judas said in the garden to betray Jesus to the rabble that came. Heal master and kissed him. And then after all of that, he says these immortal words, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days but I will trust in you. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. You may say, but how can he call himself righteous after his grievous failures? How could this man possibly call himself righteous after all the mess-ups of his life? Well, he had already dealt with all of that in Psalm 51, which is the great psalm of repentance. Care to read that? That was the time that Nathan the prophet came to him and pointed and says, you are the man. It's you. And he repented. And even though he had repented, and even though he had been forgiven, but he's still struggling with the consequences of his sins. God can forgive, and he does forgive, and he will forgive. But oftentimes the consequences of our sins and our mistakes linger. And they certainly did for David. The sword never left his house. 
And so he writes, in the midst of his trials, and in spite of them, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So let's just look at that briefly. The problem, cast your burden. Your burden. Notice that David, this, this is a, a psalm of instruction, by the way. It's one of those psalms that are given to instruct. And so David is encouraging those who read this. So therefore, the Holy Spirit is encouraging us today who read this. Your problem, cast your burden upon the Lord. Job 14.1 says, Man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job 5.7, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. In other words, problems are part of life. Problems are part of this fallen world that we live in. Whether they're self-inflicted or whether they're inflicted by others, we are going to have problems. And we can't ignore that, can't bury our head in the sand and say, I don't have any problems. We will have problems. But how we deal with them? Problems come with responsibility. Anytime you are in a position of responsibility, you will face problems. No question about that. Some of you in here have very highly responsible jobs. I don't need to tell you the problems that accompany those jobs daily. But you overcome the problems, you solve the problems. Problems comes with opportunities. Every God-given opportunity will come with a set of problems. So we either solve the problems or we refuse the opportunity. That's our choices. Most of us accept the opportunity and then with God's help, we solve the problems and we go on. Problems come with success. Anybody that has any measure of success in anything they do faces problems. That's life. Everyone has to face them. How you face them determines the outcome. What we don't want to do and what the psalmist voiced was those couple of verses where he says, oh, I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and be in peace. And all of us feel that whenever we face problems in there. Our first instinct usually is, how can I get out of this? How can I not deal with this or whatever? That's usually our first instinct, isn't it? But we've got to face problems. The ant is carrying a, a straw, not a straw you drink through, but a straw of grass. He's carrying a straw and he's coming along and there's a crevice. How is he going to get over this crevice? And so he takes the straw and he places it over the crevice. Then he walks across the straw and then he picks it up and goes on his way. His burden became a bridge. And very often our burden, if we handle it correctly, can become a bridge that gets us over the difficulty that takes us through the situation. Jacob, in Genesis 42, 36, says, all these 
things are against me. I'm smiling because I don't know about you, but there's been times in life when I thought that too, that all these things are against me. It's almost as if life has conspired particularly against you and you alone. These problems don't happen to anybody else. They're just happening to me. So that's the way Jacob thought. All these things are against me. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, But our light affliction, which is but for a moment working for us, a far more exceeding weight of glory, eternal weight of glory. Jacob says, all these things are working against me. Paul says, all these things are working for me. An entirely different attitude. And both of them had problems, and both of them had great difficulties they were facing, but one had an entirely different attitude towards it. Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 28 said, All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So somebody said you can either be upbeat or beat up. There's a choice whenever we face problems, isn't there? Are you facing a problem today? I guarantee if I asked everybody to stand up and say, what is your problem today? Everybody would have a different one. Some would be great. Some would maybe be quite small in comparison, but to you it's still a problem and it's unsolved. And here's David with his unsolved problem in the middle of the wilderness, in a cave, with a ragtag army around him, and his own son wanting to kill him, and his best friend betrayed him. That's a problem, isn't it? And yet he says, cast your burden upon the Lord. There's the provision. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. Notice that before the problem is ever solved, He shall sustain you. Because sometimes the problem lasts longer than we would certainly want it to last. Sometimes it doesn't go away quickly as we would want it to. But in those situations, He shall sustain you. There's the provision in the middle of the problem. And oftentimes we're so taken by the problem we forget the provision that God can and He will sustain us. Sometimes it's only when you look back and you say, Lord, after all this time, I'm still here and I'm in the house of God today. And Lord, you're still sustaining me in the midst of all of this. And that's a wonderful thing. Even though the difficulty may not be resolved immediately, but He will sustain you. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke that is easy and the burden that is light. Imagine if you were on a flight, you're going your holidays, your large case is in the hold in the bowels of the plane somewhere, and you get on with your eight kilogram 
flight case. You plunk it on your knees. The stewardess comes down and she looks at it and says, Sir, can't put that there. You've got to put it in the overhead locker. You've got to put it underneath your feet. Can't put it there. And you say, and you hold it, say, can I, can I just not keep it on my knee? And she says, well, why do you want to put it in your knee? He says, because I, I want to carry the weight of it because this plane has got enough weight on it. It's already got my big case down there somewhere. So I just want to help and just carry this. What do you think she would say to you? You're an idiot. No, she wouldn't say that because she's a nice stewardess. She'd say, sir, that's what the overhead locker's for. This plane will not only carry you, but will carry all of your luggage. And sometimes we're like that with God, aren't we? To say, God, I know you can carry me, but I want to carry this burden. I have, to, I have to carry this burden. Why? Why do you have to carry it? Can the God that carries you not carry your burden along with it? This is what the psalmist is saying. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. First Peter 5 and 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. All of your care, not some of it, not most of it, but all of it. Now that's the hard part, isn't it? Are you super spiritual and you find that dead easy? Are you one of these people that just never ever thinks about any, you have no cares or thoughts or burdens or anything. You just go through life and everything's just hunky-dory and you're flying along. It's wonderful. Are you like the rest of us? Well, there are burdens in life and there are loads to carry and there are responsibilities and there are things or stuff happens in life that you don't want to happen. But we hold on to it, don't we? Our real language is part of it, but there's a bit we want to keep. He cared about the widow's oil. He cared about the widow's son. He cared about the widow's mite. He cared about that young couple, that newlyweds in Cana of Galilee. He cared about them. He cared about Peter's temple tax not being paid. He cared about every single detail of our lives. Everything. From the greatest burden the simplest of things. The God who stretches out the curtains, heavens like a curtain, who hung the world upon nothing, who spoke the stars into existence, who said, the gold and the silver is mine and the cattle and the thousand hills are mine, who counts even the very hairs of her head, who sees the sparrow when it falls, that's the God that sustains us and lifts the burden. Yes, there's problems, but there's provision. But then there's the promise. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Satan wants to move you. He wants you to be moved. 
What do you mean? He wants you to be moved off the road you're on, the target you're aiming for, the dream you have, the path that God has got for you. He wants to move you away from that. He wants to distract you and worry you and make you overly anxious and afraid and all of those things and cause hurt to drive you away from God. Apostle Paul in Acts 20, 24 says, but none of these things move me. And he wasn't speaking in a vacuum. Sure he wasn't. When you read what Paul went through, lots and lots of stuff happened to him. But he says, do you know what? As much as the devil tried to move me, he says, none of those things was going to move me. Therefore, my beloved brethren, he said, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Was it Winston Churchill one time? I think it was him. They said about him or he said about somebody else. He says he was like an iron peg driven into frozen ground. Immovable. And I look at some of you today and I know your situations. And others may know it and others may not know it. And this hasn't been a one-week thing or a two-week thing or a one-year thing or a two-year thing. This has been a burden and a load that you've been carrying for a long, long, long time. But in the midst of all of that, the Lord has sustained you and you haven't moved. You've been immovable. And you're sitting here today in the house of the Lord as a testimony to God sustaining you and you not moving. And that's a good testimony to have, isn't it? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1.23, Colossians 1.23, continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. There's the promise, he shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Jeremiah, God says in verse Chapter 1, verse 12, I will stand over my word to perform it. Sometimes we make promises we can't keep. Sometimes we make promises we don't keep. Sometimes we mean well, but we haven't got the wherewithal to make it happen. Sometimes we make promises on the spur of the moment. And then we struggle to keep up our end. But God doesn't. He says, I will hasten. I will stand over my word to perform it. Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. Paul said in Romans 4, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Paul said, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Peter talked about exceedingly great and precious promises that by these we become partakers even of the divine nature. What promises are in this book for us to claim 
and to stand on and to say, God, that's your promise that you will never leave me, you'll never forsake me, you will sustain me in the midst of my difficulty. By the way, David got a great victory. Got a great victory. They came out after David, but David's mighty man was more than a match for them. And in the end, when Absalom was on the run, David, by the way, didn't want him killed. He said to his men, he said to all these great generals, he says, don't touch the boy. He says, don't kill him. But as Absalom was running from David, and as he was running through a forest, his hair got caught up in the tree, on branches of a tree, a great hair. And there he hung, suspended between heaven and earth. And the word came back to Joab. And Joab says, why didn't you kill him? Oh, he says, the king says not to touch him. And Joab took three spears and he, out and he drove three spears into his heart. And he had ten young men with him and they put their spears into him too. And they dug a hole and they buried him. And that was the end of Absalom. Broke David's heart, by the way. It was his favorite son, even though he was a traitor. But David had a great victory. He succeeded, got his throne back, sat upon his throne, became Israel's greatest king. The problem didn't last forever. It's tough when he's going through it. But he's writing back on reflection and he says, the Lord sustained me and the Lord will sustain you in your problem, in your difficulty. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He'll never suffer the righteous to be moved. Question. What's your burden today? Have you cast it upon the Lord? Peter says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Before we break bread together in a few moments, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to make, if you haven't done it already, and maybe you have, and if you have, wonderful. Say, David, I cast my burden on the Lord a long time ago, and he has sustained me. Thank God. Can't argue with that. That's what we want. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you have not cast your burden upon the Lord. And you're not feeling that sustaining of God in your life. I want you to do that today. I want you to do that this morning. I want you to do that in a moment. And then we're going to trust the Lord that you're going to feel and experience His sustaining power in your life. Where even if the problem is not going away right now, even if you get up in the morning and it's still there, but you'll feel his strength. Remember Paul prayed three times for that thorn in the flesh to remove and it didn't? God says, my grace is sufficient. For in your weakness, you'll find strength. And so the grace of God will sustain you. Strength of God will come in and help you to carry that load for another while until the problem 
is solved until finally that need is met in full. Amen? So close your eyes and we'll pray together. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you want to follow this prayer, fine. But if you want to just make up your own words and pray your own way from your own heart, that's even better. And in this prayer, we're going to ask, we're going to give our burden to the Lord and we're going to ask for His strength to sustain us. Cast it onto the Lord. It's a very definite thing we do. So will you do that today? Will you take that case that's on your knee and put it in the roof rack? Lord God, we come before you right now. And I'm going to take this burden, this load, this weight that sometimes feels like crushing me. I'm going to take it and I'm going to cast it upon you. I'm going to lay it at your feet and you're going to take the weight of it. And you're going to sustain me in the midst of it. Lord, I ask for your grace. I ask for your supernatural strength. I ask for your power to be able to handle this situation. Lord, until the full answer comes, until the need is fully met, you will sustain me. And you will lift the load and take the burden. So I give you thanks and I praise you and help me, Lord, in my mind and in my emotions when I feel it slipping and taking that back again. Lord, help me, Lord, to refuse those thoughts and to keep it firmly in your hands. Thank you for your strength, Lord. Lord, for all of these years, Lord, you have helped me and strengthened me and sustained me, and I bless you for that. And I give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask those who serve in the communion this morning, if you'd come, please. If you're visiting with us today, then let me just say to you what we say to all. If you know and you love the Lord, He's your Savior today. You're born again of God's Spirit. Then this is His table. It's not ours. It's His. And you're very, very welcome.
to join us in partaking of his table. If you feel that's not possible, then just pass the emblems by, but please stay with us these last remaining moments of this service. Isaiah said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Lord, we just stop for a moment and we give you thanks. What a wonderful exchange at Calvary. Our sins for your righteousness. Our guiltiness for your innocence. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we did not deserve it. It is all by your marvelous grace. And we're humbled and we thank you for this. Bless you that we have been born again for your, of your spirit. We've been born again from above. Again, Lord, all of your grace. So, Lord, we have nothing to boast in except the Lord and his goodness and mercy. Thank you for these emblems that remind us of the sacrifice at Calvary. The precious blood that you shed, your body that was beaten and whipped and torn, broken. We give you thanks that you did it all for us. You made that supreme sacrifice for us today. And our hearts are grateful. In Jesus' name.
we want to thank you for the work you've done in our lives. And Lord, we trust in your unfailing love. For you alone are God eternal throughout earth and heaven above. Lord, we trust alone in your unfailing love. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies that are new and fresh every morning, for great is your faithfulness. Bless you, Lord, that you do not give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. You'll be with us even unto the end. So we bless you for your mercies and your faithfulness today. What a wonderful God that we serve. What a blessed Savior we have today. Thank you, Lord God. Bless you, Jesus, for all that you have accomplished on the cross for us. Thank you for the life that you have imparted by your Spirit. Bless you for this new life that you give to us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of people in holidays at the moment. There's at least six in America. I can think about Canada, Brussels. Where else was I thinking? All over the place. Globetrotters. Whatever happened to a week at Scrabble? <laughs> eh? Those days are gone, aren't they? Found a little thing this week and I put it into the cell group sheet. It says, Beware of terrorists in church. You know there's terrorists in church. Do you know that? Latest news reports that five terrorist cell groups have been operating in many of our churches. They have been identified as been sleeping, been arguing, been fighting, been complaining, and been missing. Their leader, Lucifer, been working. Train these groups to destroy the body of Christ. The plan is to come into the church disguised as Christians and do work within the church to discourage, disrupt, and destroy. However, there have been reports of a sixth group, a tiny cell known as the name Bin Praen, is actually the only effective counter-terrorism force in the church. And like other terrorist cells, the Bin Praen team does not blend in with whoever or whatever comes along. Bin Praen does whatever is needed to uplift and encourage the body of Christ. We've noticed that the Bin Pran cell group has different characteristics than the others. They have been bin watching, been waiting, been fasting, and been longing for their master Jesus to return. No church is exempt. <laughs> oh well. All right. It's time for the bin offering. You can pick up your little, if you want to, that is, if you know somebody that you could give this to, the interview. Uh, it's a DVD, and it's about, I think it's about 26 minutes or something like that, yep. Johnny. It's around about that. Uh, we're, we're not having big, big, massively long interviews. We're trying to keep them relatively short. 
We did another one with uh, Rod and Nancy Walsh uh, Sunday yesterday, last Sunday afternoon. They were here in the morning, we did it in the afternoon, and that will be available soon as well. Next Sunday night, Yuha and Yanni will be with us at 6.30. And then the following Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Tibor and his wife Annie from Hungary will be with us. And Becky, she can introduce them. You can interpret for us. Can you? Yeah. Easy, that's good. You could do Serbian and Hungarian and all the rest of it. That's good. All right, stand with us, please. Lord, we give you thanks for our gathering today. We bless you for the house of the Lord, a place where we come, Lord, and get refreshed in spirit and understand the word of God and worship corporately together as your people. So we bless you for all this. We give you thanks, Lord. Bless those who are on holiday at this time. We pray, oh God, you're refreshing to be upon them, body, mind, and spirit. And Lord, it will come back stronger than they went. And Lord, bless for their rest and peace. So we give you thanks, Lord, for everyone that has came out today. For those, Lord, who has been sick. For those, Lord, who couldn't make it through illness. We ask, Lord, that you would touch them from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. For those, Lord, who are struggling and in difficulties, we ask, Lord, your, your favor and blessing to be upon them. And Lord, that you will sustain them through all of these things to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen.